During 2020, I discovered something about myself. Eric really didn't make a lot of art in the in 2020 because the stress of COVID and everything. But I discovered that my stress response is to create because I would come up to the studio every day and just do collages and paint. And uh, even if I wasn't making fresh work, I was creating painted backgrounds for future work and stuff like that. And, and I realized that I just love to create. And even in very stressful times, that's what I'll turn to. And so that, that was kind of nice to learn about myself. Hey, it's Margot Tantow here. Welcome to Windowsill Chats, a podcast for creatives and the creatively curious. I am so glad you're here. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. I've spent time in the trenches, figuring out the best way to get something made, how to put oneself out there, how to get your work noticed, and pull yourself up and face the next challenge. Windowsill Chats brings you creativity from a global perspective, as I talk in depth to friends I've met along the way. I'm here to bring their stories to you, as well as a few of my own, and see if there's anything you can pull out for yourself. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or a glass of wine and join me over in my sunny windowsill. Yes, I need your trouble. everybody. Thanks so much for being here in my sunny windowsill and joining me, whatever you're doing, whether it be driving, running, for me, that would be walking, painting, doodling, hanging out. I'm really glad you're here. Today, I'm really glad to bring you this conversation with the wonderful Annie Galvin. Annie was born and raised in Ireland, where she went to art college and then worked as an illustrator in Dublin before literally winning the green card lottery at the age of 23, which we talk about, and immigrating to the U.S. Annie moved to San Francisco in 1989, two weeks before a major earthquake we had there. I happened to live there as well, and she is still happily living in California. A natural daydreamer and doodler, Annie has a constant impulse to create and spends her days making drawings, paintings, and collages that feature juicy colors and her fantastic salty humor. She picked up a degree in English literature from UC Berkeley, which adds a layer of storytelling to her work for sure. Some of the things we talk about today are Annie's personal creative process, what she does when she isn't connecting to her creative time, why downsizing and being willing to switch things up isn't a bad thing being accessible and affordable artist, the mindset behind enjoying the process and the ride, all sorts of good things. Annie is endlessly inspired by the people and loveliness of California, the Golden State, the magical energy, the enormous diversity of people and ideas, as well as the natural beauty of her adopted homeland. Annie and her husband, Eric Rewitzer, also an artist, started the wonderful Three Fish Studios in 2006, 
which doesn't seem that long ago, but actually it's been a while that they've been putting their fantastic art out into the world. They ran a gallery and studio in San Francisco for many years. It was a beloved gathering spot too. In 2020, they relocated along with their studio to a city up in the the gold country in California called Amador City. It's actually not, it's a small town and it's wonderful. And we talk about that too. And they just recently opened a gallery there. So if you find yourself in Amador City, check out Three Fish Studios. And here is more from the wonderful Annie. And by the way, she makes the best reels. They're hilarious. She just makes me laugh and I love her. So enjoy. So thank you for being here, Annie Galvin. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. I am very looking forward to talking to you. You're you're one of those people that were on my short list from the beginning, and it's taken me a little while to, Aww, that's to get to you, but you know, good things <laughs> come to those who wait. So you're someone that I wanted to meet for a long time. I felt like, oh my gosh, I moved away from the Bay Area. I'm totally missing out. I should know those two. And, oh my God, that's amazing. Oh, I loved your work as soon as I saw it. I'm a California girl, fifth generation California girl. And um, I first was introduced to you. I think it was, were you on Etsy first? Way back. Yeah. Yeah. Probably 2008, seven, somewhere in there. Yes. I saw We started, we started Three Fish Studios in 2006. Okay. And I think for a couple of years before that, I was on Etsy. Okay. But I just remember, I think I was introduced to the bear first. So yes, you have this amazing, perfectly, fabulously drawn bear that's standing up and he looks very jolly and happy and he would not steal your food out of your campsite. (laughs) And he's holding, well, at the time he was holding a sign that said California. So to me, living in Minnesota at the time, I bought it all. I have the, I had all the things that at, at that time, I think it was a print. But then we added the mug and we added a magnet and we added some more things. And then the bear became, to me, it represented some wonderful reasons to raise money, like the fires in California and supporting other things. And I just love how you, well, there's a lot of things I love about your work. So let's start further back. (laughs) Okay. So you're not from here. I love that about you. I'm not. I was born and raised in Ireland in a town called Wexford, which is mm. the southeast corner of the country. Um, Ireland's small, so it doesn't take that long to get anywhere, but we're about an hour and a half drive uh, south of Dublin. I love that. And you've been here long enough that you're definitely from here. I've said that sort of jokingly, yes. you know, absolutely and, from uh, here. Even if I think about being from Ireland, my accent comes out more. So <laughs> it's funny, but I have been here more than half my life at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I always like to say I won the lottery because I literally won the lottery. There was a a lottery system for green cards in the eighties uh-huh. in Ireland. I think it was throughout Europe, but Ireland got a lot of them. Um, I was in art college in 1986 when mm-hmm. uh, it was called the Donnelly visa came uh-huh. out and everybody was applying for the Donnelly visa because Ireland in the eighties was pretty economically depressed and everyone yeah. kind of knew uh, you, we're probably going to have to leave Ireland to get mm. employment. Mm. Um, so I applied. I didn't get it in 1986. Uh, I graduated from college, moved to Dublin, and I was living in Dublin for two years, working as a junior art director in an ad agency. Mm. And then I got this envelope from the American embassy saying, hey, your numbers come up. <gasps> Go through oh all of this like 
jump through all of these hoops and we'll give you a green card for the United States. Oh my God. So I did that. And what, what did that, that day feel like? Oh, it was, it was amazing. Um, so I had to get a police report. I had to get an HIV test. It oh, being yeah. the eighties, yeah. yeah. I had to get a chest X-ray, I think for TB. Okay. I had to have affidavits for financial independence filled out. I had to swear that I wasn't a member of the communist party. So there was this huge wow. list of paperwork I had to How fill out. How interesting what the U S thinks they need, you know, in it's a case so funny, like that, right? Oh my goodness. <laughs> It's so very- then they said, and I, I think I had an interview at the embassy and then I was given a date to come and, and pick up my uh, paperwork, my green card paperwork, essentially. Um, although I wasn't going to get the actual green card until I moved here and went to the social security office and all of that. Sure. Um, so I went to the American embassy in Dublin one day in the summer of 1989. And it was this enormous room crowded with people. And there were um, two young women up at the top of the room and they were just calling out names oh, and people gosh. were going up and getting their packets. And if I'd had a husband and a family at the time, I was 23, so I didn't. But if I had that, I could have brought my whole family on oh, my, my green card. So there were entire families there and they were all getting what these an amazing fat envelopes. Feeling. Wow. Yeah, it was astonishing. Yeah. I wanted to go the opposite way i wanted to be in england more than anything in the in the late 80s that's where i wanted to to be and i remember calling the embassy and being like now how can i legally live there and they're like hmm, you can't bring us oh. hundreds, bring us hundreds of thousands of dollars and jobs and then maybe and i was like oh never exactly, mind yeah. I'm, I'm just out of college and i'll just visit i worked in london the two summers i was in art college and it was it was a lot of fun in the 80s it was yeah. great I, I spent a lot of time there in the 80s my dad was a pilot and so uh I was in art well design was my major at school so that last year I had studio studios on Tuesdays and Thursdays and I would it was Davis a school in Northern California for y'all mm-hmm. and so I would hop sometimes I'd go Sacramento LA or drive down to San Francisco and then the 11 hours to London. And I went eight times that year. Sorry, you guys to sound bougie, but it was free for me. Amazing. Unless I went first class and in which case it was $25. Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Because that is the way to cross the Atlantic. Oh my gosh. And there was no, there were no frequent flyer miles or anything like that. So they're either, it was either full up of people that were paying for first class or yeah. not. So often I could go that way. And then I had dear friends who lived in the Albany in in near Piccadilly in London. And I'd just stay on their sofa. It was oh, that is the best. I loved it so much because being an art kid, I would wander around and go just that was the city I knew first because I was in a cow town college and I would just walk everywhere and just take it all in. It was I felt safe. I don't know. I guess my parents yeah. thought I was safe. So then I went and worked. Um, we had some friends who had a restaurant. And and so I went and worked and they paid me, you know, cash to to work there at uh, Les Cargo in Greek Street in London. Oh, I love that. That's fantastic. It was wonderful. But I couldn't figure out how to 
it was different then. Yeah. Yeah. You really, I don't know. I, maybe I could have, but you had to prove that you were filling a job that somebody from England couldn't fill themselves, which I couldn't figure out how to do that. Plus I'm like, I don't want to take a job away from somebody else, but anyway, (laughs) I, so you worked, you were there in the summers where, sorry, I kind of cut you off there. I went, so I was in, um, art college from 85 to 87. And so the summers, I don't know, from 84 to 87. So the summers of 85 and 86, I spent in London. Mm-hmm. And that was a huge thing that Irish students did. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure I could have even found employment, mm-hmm. certainly not in my hometown. Even if I went to Dublin for those summers, it would have been hard. But yeah. there was jobs galore in London. Yeah. So there was an overnight bus you could take from Wexford. Wow. So we crossed on the ferry which took four hours and then drove across Wales and England, which took six hours on a bus. Wow, and then uh, early in the morning, you arrived in London. And uh, the two summers I went, I went with friends. We would find a hostel to stay yeah, in. I say and then ones. we would just go to local bars and say, hey, do you need summer help? And no problem getting a job. And so a lot of those jobs were live-in too. Oh, wow. So two of the bars I worked in, in London had rooms upstairs for the staff. So that was great. Gosh, summer of, when was it? It might've been the, I think it was the summer of 85, 85, 84, 85. I was in a hostel in London. Oh my God. Annie, I saw you in the bathroom. (laughs) Well, let me ask you this. Was it the summer of Live Aid? Yes, it was the summer of Live Aid. That yes. was 85. Yeah. Cause we all crowded in the common room of the hostel and watched it on TV. Yes. Um, oh, didn't yeah. you? Well, we couldn't be, I mean, I wasn't, you know, savvy enough or affordable to be there in person, but for sure we watched it on TV. Yeah. Yeah. And it we, never even occurred to me to try to get a ticket. I mean, I just I know, didn't have same. the money, I suppose. Yeah. No, but looking back, I was like, wow, that would have been a memory. But I, oh, I, there's, there's, there's another thing that happened to me in London in the tube station. My friend Elaine and I were walking through the tube station and we saw some commotion and it was Paul McCartney <gasps> and he was film He was chatting to commuters and he was filming a, a video for um, a single he had. I think it was called Press. Um, so it's all shot in the tubes. Oh, wow. And we stupidly just kind of kept walking. We should have <laughs> just followed him. Yeah. You can you can see a tiny bit of me in the video. Oh my coming gosh. up coming up the top of uh, you can say see Elaine more, but you can see my big my big um hair in the 80s uh, <laughs> in that video. But I'm like, God, if only we'd followed Paul McCartney, we could be in that video more. I'm gonna go look that up after this. <laughs> so we might have been clustered around the same TV. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. I love that. Oh my goodness. So you fresh faced and off to America. Had you ever been there or anything or you just know? And why? No, I've never been here. I was, I was, um, my choices for moving here because I didn't want to move where I had no idea what, how, what, how big America was really. And I had a cousin who was in Boston. Um, my dad had aunts and uncles and their kids in, Chicago. And I was friends with a woman my own age uh, called Patty Lawrence. And she studied in Ireland for a year abroad and we became friends. She stayed with my family a while. 
Um, and so we were pen pals at that point. She lived in San Francisco uh-huh. with her roommate, uh, Desiree. And I was just kind of choosing between these three places. And I chose San Francisco because I was like, I want a totally fresh start. I don't want to be slotted into the Irish community. Let's just go somewhere new and different. And I literally did not have any idea that San Francisco was further away from Ireland than Boston was. Mm, Because mm. I remember telling my aunt on the phone that I had decided to go to San Francisco and she said, oh, that's that's so much further away. And I it was news to me. So yeah. but and I moved directly to San Francisco. Um, uh, I stayed with Patty for a few weeks. Uh, she went off to the Peace Corps. I moved in with Dee Dee. She's still my best friend. Oh, I love um, So, yeah, it was a great move for me. So we were in San Francisco at the same time, too. You and I. Yeah. Really? What yeah. years were you there? I was there. Oh gosh, 86 to 91 with a oh, short stint in New York for in the middle. Two years, yeah. yeah. I moved to San Francisco two weeks before the earthquake. Oh, yes, that wasn't where were you in a place where were you in the marina or somewhere that really had no, issues? No, I was I was in Russian Hill in okay. my friend Patty's apartment okay. by myself. But scary and as all heck. <laughs> it's not it was like it's scary, but less. at the same time, I was like does this happen all the time? Yeah. I don't, I don't want to be like the provincial, like just, should I just launch the so launch? <laughs> No, maybe this happens every couple of weeks. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah. That was, yes. I mean, not to bore anyone with where we were when, but yes, that was um, memorable. Quite the welcome. Quite the welcome. Annie is here. Let's shake things up. <laughs> I love that. So there you were in San Francisco with creative talents. What, what did you do? Well, I had worked in an ad agency, so I wanted to get a job like that. And I had this adorable, I thought, little leave behind for art directors in ad agencies. It was a little bottle of Bailey's Irish cream oh my gosh, in that. a bag and attached to the, the bottle was a tag that says, so it compared me to Bailey's saying we were both true Irish originals <laughs> and give me a call and take a look at my portfolio. And I thought it was very cute. So I actually walked around San Francisco with my address book of all the ad agencies, dropped off these cute little bags with the bottles of Bailey's and then the tag inside. Memorable. And I think I, I think I literally did that the day before the earthquake. Oh gosh. So, um, I got a couple of calls back. I got a couple of interviews, but I didn't end up getting a job. And then I hmm. kind of was like, ah, I'll get a job bartending or waitressing. Yeah. yeah. So I did that and I would do, um, you know, paintings and drawings on the side, but I was, I just was having fun. I was in my early twenties and I was working in bars and restaurants and then I started to take classes at City College mm-hmm. and eventually started going to classes at College of Marin uh-huh. um, and really got into English and writing classes. I love that. Um, and I had a great mentor at College of Marin. He was the head of the English department. David Rollison was his name. Mm. And he encouraged me to apply to Berkeley. Love that. And I did. And I got into Berkeley um, and I got a great financial aid package. I mean, essentially 
I got a free ride to Berkeley. So the Baileys worked amazing. for Berkeley. What's that? The Baileys worked for Berkeley. Exactly. Yes. I love it. Well, that was probably uh, well worth it. <laughs> I know. I mean, yeah, if I'd gotten a job in advertising right yeah. at the start, who knows where I'd be now? Right. I certainly wouldn't have a degree in English from Berkeley. I love that um, you did that. But I love I, I loved my few years in Berkeley. I was older than everyone else. I was nearly 30 at this point. Um, so I continued to work all through going to school there. And uh, yeah, I loved it. I lived in Berkeley for a few years. Um, and then I, I would still paint and draw, but I incorporated um, language and poetry into mm. my artwork too, which is still that, what I do. That makes a lot of sense because your words and the way you interpret them are just so refreshing to me always. I just, they make me laugh. They, they bring the point home. I, I love your art and your, especially how you use words. Yeah. I do like the blend of salty and sweet. I -hmm. like a, a really pretty painting with some curse words on it. Yeah. It just always tickles me. It's so good. I just, every once in a while, I'll, you know, I'll catch something on Instagram or you're doing something and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to go look and see what's, what's happening. And there's just, it's just a, it's just, I, it always makes me, it always makes my day better. Your artwork really does, really does. And your kick-ass reels are amazing. Oh my God. Well, I started doing those over Christmas. I was stuck in Ireland. So I went back to Ireland with Eric, my husband, um, for the first time in two and a half years last Christmas because of COVID and, uh, saw my, my brother and his family, my sister and her family, uh, my other brother, um, we had a great four days, but we had planned to be there for two weeks. So after four days, Eric started to feel a little tickle in his throat. And next thing, you know, he had tested positive for COVID then I tested positive for COVID. Now, neither of us were remotely sick, right. um, hmm. but we were stuck in Ireland for another week. And luckily my brother had a holiday cottage that was empty. So we just holed up there and we yeah. watched Netflix. And um, I started to make reels in, oh in Ireland in the middle of winter. And it was just super fun. And I had nothing else to be doing. So it oh kind of took off. Well, and you... and y'all have to check out Annie's Reels because they're not, you just take the Mickey. I mean, it's so, they're so funny and they're so, you're kind of making fun of life and yourself and the moment and the the song that everybody has done one way, you kind of do it your way. And I just, (laughs) I was like, oh, please do another one. And how has has that increased? I mean, I'm not sure, you know, like, I don't really pay attention to the algorithm. Maybe I should, but it's like, hey, I'm just going to approach it the what I have time for and what I do, but <laughs> I would imagine there's more eyes on your work than pre reels. Oh yeah. I think, I think when I started doing them, we got a bunch more followers. Um, mm-hmm. I ended up getting, uh, I did a little dance on my birthday, uh, wearing a Zuri dress. Z U R I. I love those dresses. Yes. I'll put that they in the show notes because they're worth looking at. And they reached out to me and said, hey, we love your dance. Can we send you a, a dress? And then they sent me another dress. So they're my two trophies that I got from being an influencer. Two Zuri dresses. That is well worth it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Then you did what? Because I think the one I saw after you got the dress was like, 
well, a great reel. And you're like, and I got this dress. They sent me this dress. It's so yeah, great. exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. So Art Berkeley, you met Eric somewhere in there and then you, you two created an amazing business. So get me there. I- okay. So Eric and I met in Berkeley in 98 okay. and uh, we started dating. He asked me out the first night we hung out. Love it. Um, and he was working at he was working at a little software company. At this point, I'd graduated from Berkeley, and I was working at a corporate communications firm in Sausalito. Um, Were you doing anything creative? I was writing and copy okay. editing. Got it. Um, then that that company folded because of the dot com collapse, and mm-hmm. I got hired as a what was called a web writer for. Wells Fargo. Uh-huh. And so then, then after a while, um, that, that role became known as content strategist. Okay. So that's what I did for Wells Fargo for, I was there for 12 years. Wow. Annie. Um, yeah, I only, I only quit that job in 2013. And Wells Fargo um, is a bank for those of you who bank, might not yes. be in this, in the U S. Um, so very, very structured and corporate. Very structured and corporate, but at the same time, I was in the customer experience group and mm-hmm. there were wonderful, creative, fun people in that group. I that. Now, I was writing and using my English degree, but I was writing about bill pay and checking accounts. So I always say that Wells Fargo knocked the poetry out of me because I was <laughs> writing a lot of poetry before that. Uh, yeah. But then when you're working with words, but talking about financial products, yeah. I started painting again, essentially, okay. when I was at Wells Fargo. And Eric had started his own software company with a couple of partners. He was, he'd also been to art school um, and is a very talented artist. Um, And he's like, what if I just quit my job and we start an art business? Um, I'll start, he thought he'd start screen printing, but then it ended up being relief printmaking he was more into. Okay. Uh, we had lots of fights about it because I was like, why can't you do it in your spare time? Like everyone else, you don't have to quit your job. Yeah. But he's like, no, I'm going to make a total change. Wow. And so we started three fish studios in 2006 and it's called three fish studios because my family crest mm-hmm. for my last name, Galvin has three fish on it. Love it. Um, and then that's what he was full-time in the business. I was still part-time because I kept my job at Wells Fargo for another five or six years. And then I think in 2012, we moved from the dog patch area of the city where we had a wonderful big studio to a storefront in the outer sunset. And because now we were street level and people could see us and just wander in, um, in Dogpatch, people knew we were there, but you couldn't stumble on us if you didn't know we were there. Yeah. Uh, and so suddenly the, the business got a lot more busy and Eric worked on me for a few months before I agreed to quit my job. Wow. So I did and then never looked back. Oh my gosh. Maybe that's when, because I remember where I was working at the time when I first saw the bear and I, I bet it was 2012, somewhere in there. Anyway, it, it's interesting too, Annie, because you guys made a, a choice later to move. And I had never been to the 
the store and the studio and the outdoor area you apparently had because I read all about it. And, and I remember people saying, I'm going to miss this and the gatherings of community. And it just sounded like you created, especially in the area where you were, which I felt needed personally. I was like, yeah, great place to be with that. But it just felt like it was so such a gathering place. You know, it was a studio, but people really, really responded to that. Oh, it was amazing. Eric um, and uh, Bob Lake, uh, the two of them built a huge table in the backyard in the shape of the state of California. And that became this wonderful gathering spot. And we would have events out there. We'd have music, live music. It was, it was really, really fun area. We had some great parties. We had some great events. Um, but we had to close in, in uh, the March of 2020 because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did get the PPP loan to keep it, keep the business going and continue to be able to pay our employee, Orly, who's incredible. Mm-hmm. She's a wonderful artist too. Love it. Um, on Instagram, she is Orly Grams. Okay. Um, and so during that summer, we're like, well, let's, let's think about leaving the city and closing wow. up shop and yeah, switching everything change. to an online and wholesale business. And so that's what we did. Um, but we were missing that community connection part mm-hmm. of the business. Mm-hmm. And so just a few months ago, we opened a much smaller gallery in a, in a tiny, adorable little town um, near us called Amador City. Mm. So now we have another little gallery that's open on the weekends. And I saw it. You did a little online tour and it looks amazing. The town looks amazing. You all have to go on to Instagram and check it out. But um, I was so excited for you guys to just have, because one of the things you and Eric do really well is kind of show process. They're in giant, like just the, the printing is, is a feat, you know, it's not just a, a little carved block, you know, it's this huge, wonderful thing. And then, yeah. you add your, I mean, Eric, that seems to be what Eric does and you do your thing your way, but your collaborations are very inspiring. And now you have, an, it just made my day. You have this new space that people can trip in and, and yeah, it's in and really find wonderful. You. And it doesn't, uh, I mean, in San Francisco, we kind of had to be open every day yeah. to, you know, sell the donuts and all of that. Yeah. So now we can, um, we've, it's a much smaller operation. We can be, we're open Saturdays and Sundays. And oh, nice. Wow. Nice. Eric likes to say we're open every day of the week, except Monday through Friday. <laughs> and it's great. And we've met tons of people in the area. People have come up from the Bay Area. Oh, it's only an hour great. from Sacramento. Yeah, so it's a cool a lot drive. Of people come out. Yeah, it's really pretty. Yeah. So it, describe a little bit about, um, I mean, I know I can visualize where you are, but you made the move from San Francisco up to the Sierra foothills. And what drew you to that? And you, I mean, California is your home. So your artwork is, is reminiscent of things I imagine you are inspired by. Kind of how did that whole, how did you end up there? Um, well, we, we love San Francisco, but we love to get out of town too. Mm -hmm. So we were big fans of Russian river and Mendocino. And then several years ago, my friend Brenda moved to Sacramento 
And I remember her saying to me shortly afterwards, you know, there's this whole area east of Sacramento that's amazing. Mm. Um, and it's essentially gold country. This is where gold, the gold rush happened. And so we started coming up here and that was 12 or 13 years ago. And we just thought it was wonderful. So um, in 2019, we were thinking about buying a second home and eventually found a wonderful place up here in the foothills. And for that, for like half of 2019, it was our second home. And then in 2020, we decided to move entirely up here. Mm -hmm. Um, But we just found this really kind of randomly through my friend Brenda. And uh, it's just full of adorable little towns with one brick building that you can kind of always tell was the town jail. Yeah. And it's very Western. It's really cool. It does get caught, Mm -hmm. but I'm learning to live with that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It is. It's very, it's very early California because, you know, California wasn't, well, you know, certainly settled many years before the white man got there, but the white man brought, you know, and the gold rush and things like that. They, 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 there was a crowd of people. I, I um, spent a lot of time in a different part of the Sierra, but it was the same. It was very busy in the gold rush days. So, and they would definitely need the jail, but then everybody, yeah. everything else was these kind of rickety wooden buildings that they just, yeah, exactly. Grew and up to make down all the time. For sure. Yeah. So uh, it, it's like, we're surrounded by history here. There's um, head frames from old mines Uh, we have a river on our property, a little, well, it's a seasonal river right now. It's not running. Um, but there's old hardware, old iron hardware screwed into the granite down there. And I don't know, like, was it, was it used as a conveyance to, to get gold from, I don't know what it was used for, but there's, there's old stuff everywhere to do with the gold rush. And it's really cool you know, I'm going to just riff, but they, maybe they had big screens set up with the water coming through and they were scooping the silt from the river and who knows yeah. what. Yeah, maybe. My grandpa had a property way up in the mountains and it was built on the site of a place called the Valentine Quartz Mine. And when we were little, well, not when we were little, what, you know, when my memory goes back to the first time I saw this being little hiking up into the mountain or into the hills and it was, there was nobody else there. It was forest service property. And there was this old abandoned mine. And when I was, I don't think they closed that thing up until the forest service finally did. I was definitely maybe in college. So one time my dad took my sister and her friend and myself into the mine. <laughs> when my mom found out, she was like, you what? But there, there was a mine car and tracks. And there was, um, that was a little creepy. And I didn't feel necessarily like a good idea, but <laughs> near it was this old wooden house that had been there so long. All that was left was a little bit of a framework. And then at, that eventually fell down. But so there was a bed frame and a wire mattress left, like nothing fabric or anything oh was left, God. just the wood and the metal. And it was, it was frozen in time and completely um, weathered and decayed, but when I was probably, I don't know, 10 or something, I remember a dresser still there and nothing's there anymore. It's all gone back to nature, but 
there was a gold pan with, it was all rusty with holes in the bottom and, and bits and pieces and files. And oh my gosh, Annie, it was just to me, it, it was a treasure trove, like no other, especially younger. We, we would just go up and dig around in the dirt and find, so I remember you, you went up there multiple times oh, and just all the time because it's amazing. really just behind our property. And so I, we would find, I can remember finding little kids tea set up there oh. in the middle of nowhere, like just in the dirt. And then there was a dump site cause there was a hill and they had would just throw broken crockery or tin cans or which is all rusty and it's so much fun. Someday, Annie, oh, I'll have to take you up there. Treasure. <laughs> oh my so God. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, it people, it had been a bustling area at back in, yeah. you know, a hundred years ago. So hundred way more than that now, but I love in, that you live in, in a place. Amador city. There's um, there's a little graveyard in Amador mm. city and some, someone or some group of people uh, did this amazing thing where on a lot of the graves, there's a little um, plaque attached with the story of that person. Oh, how cool. Like this, the only one I remember is somebody, somebody died when his horse and cart lost control of his horse and cart and he crashed into the local hotel and got a head injury and died. So there's all this like little local color stories um, and the first time we were up here, we discovered that and we just good thought, idea. Oh my God. I, I know putting the stories to it. And the other thing I remember being very, um, I guess, surprised at the time in the little in the little graveyard near there was how international everybody was from Norway and the gold rush brought people from all over the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Okay, you guys, you know I've been hosting windowsill workshops every month now since January. So we're all the way to August, and this is going to be the, a really fun one. I'm super excited. You might have heard me talk about it already. It's the first one that has to do anything with food, and that's because my wonderful friend Tom Conway, who was on episode 102, is teaching Easy Peasy how to make the best pie ever. All his secrets. And you can easily find it by going to tantowstudio.com and just clicking on windowsill workshops. You can join us live this Saturday, the 27th of August. And if you can't join us live, you can always get the recording. But Tom is so fun. He's funny. And I am actually going to be there live with him, which should be some laughs as well. So join us. We'd love to have you. So tell me a little bit about the art that you two make together and, and your art and what you decided, what and how you decided to make it a larger business. Cause you mentioned retail and wholesale, of course. Yeah. Um, so kind of how did you, had Eric been wholesaling or just retailing when you then joined more full-time? Um, I think we were, even back then we were wholesaling and retailing. We started to make um, digital prints of our work. Well, Eric is a printmaker, so he would do his prints, um, in editions of 30 or 50. Some of the smaller ones were editions of hundred, but usually he kept them to about 50. Okay. And then I would do original paintings and drawings and we would sell those. And then, uh, back in 2010 or so, Eric said, I want to invest in this wonderful printer where we can mm. make these uh, light fast, color fast prints. 
mm-hmm. um, and it was an Epson printer. We still use Epson printers. We have three of them. Nice. And so we started doing that. And Eric luckily had also the expertise of, um, you know, photographing or scanning the piece of art and then doing color correction and a little Photoshop work to make it the best it could be um, as a print. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started doing that and we got into lots of stores, mostly in the Bay Area, a few in L.A., um, a few further afield, but mostly in the Bay Area. Um, and so that's kind of still our model today. We have original okay. work, but we do have a lot of digital prints and then Eric's uh, limited edition prints. We collaborate sometimes. I really like when we collaborate and so does he. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, time keeps going by and you got your own projects. And so we need to make the time to do that. We did one last year uh, that we call Habitat, which is, uh, and the inspiration was the old kind of classroom charts of flora and fauna. And so I did the original drawing of um, a lot of uh, Northern California plants, mostly plants, wildflowers, and a few, like there's, there's a lizard, there's a bee, there's a hummingbird, there's a few other little small animals in there. And I made it a, a kind of symmetrical drawing, but there's little Easter eggs in there that nice. mean it's not quite symmetrical. Yeah. And then Eric had the enormous task of carving the plate out based on that drawing. Wow. And so it was, the original is three feet by three feet. And so it took him a while to carve that out. And the first time it was printed was at this wonderful event that Center for the Book has every year in San Francisco called uh, Roadworks, where it's printed on the street with a steamroller. Oh, my goodness. So that's always a super fun day. It's usually in September. Wow. Oh, my gosh. What a memorable thing to to take part in. And and I know it's really fun. Pull that first print would be. Just yeah, must be the exactly. most fun. So rewarding because it, it, you do, you are good at having videos of printing those huge, huge pieces that he carves. And I just am always awestruck by the detail and what it takes, the skill you need to get it, that exactly how you want to have, you know, the carving, the printing, the, the application of yeah. ink, all those things. Very, yeah. Very awesome. And he has a, I think it's a 45 inch press mm-hmm. so he can do these huge prints on it which is really great but then um you often need two people to peel the print off so mm-hmm. kind of well eric's tall he can sometimes do it by himself mm-hmm. but uh if he has me kind of help him take the print off the plate sometimes i'm on my tiptoes and i'm like like i'm, I'm too short <laughs> it's gonna touch the inky plate i need oh, help <laughs> quick we don't need this to be a second yeah <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, you know, and I think I love how you combined your, both your work. And I know I said this before, but you made, you've made it, it seems like, so that the business has aspects that are touch on both of your work and your work together and what people can maybe afford in different ways. It's, it's very, I love how you've set it up. Does it stay fresh for you because, or 
not because of how you've done it, but does it stay fresh and not just burden? Sometimes wholesaling can get burdensome or, oh my gosh, we've created this thing that we just have to keep going. But do you feel like your process is um, enjoyable? Yeah, I really do. And we're, we're at the exact right size Mm -hmm. for us. You know, we're a little bigger in San Francisco. We had staff, um, we had maybe some more wholesale accounts and it it can get a little uh, tedious filling wholesale accounts all day. But I feel like right now we have the exact right amount of wholesale accounts. Um, If we get a big order, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it can be, it's a couple of days of printing and bagging and tagging and trimming and all of that. Um, but if we had, you know, much more wholesale orders coming in, it would get, we'd have to have help Mm -hmm, and we're mm -hmm. at the level now where we really don't need that. And, and I love that. One of your, um, interviews, it was with Emily McDowell and she talked about Mm -hmm. getting smaller after like sometimes that is the right direction. You, you're a bigger operation, but there's a lot more um, happiness and success to be gotten if you just allow yourself to get smaller rather than bigger. And that was really inspiring for me to learn because I feel like we've done that moving to the hills mm-hmm. and uh, we don't have as big of an uh, operation to keep going. Um And yeah, it's still a very enjoyable process. And sometimes, in fact, I won't be entirely feeling uh, creative that day. So I'll be like, well, I'm just going to go and do some mindless work, Mm -hmm. meaning I'll just I'll I'll start I'll restock all of our prints by printing them out and then trimming and bagging and tagging. My brain doesn't have to be engaged. I can listen to a podcast and just do that all day. And then the following day, I feel more creatively fresh and I sit down and paint and draw. And that makes sense, too, because those things need to be done anyway. So I don't know, for my creative process, I'm, I need to switch it up. You know, I, I find that if I can get in the zone of doing something creative, that doesn't always last. So it's nice to be able to switch it up. And yeah, I do exactly. love that you mentioned um, that conversation with Emily, because I think as creatives, I would love to touch on that a little bit more. We get, or maybe it's human, I should say, you know, we, we get in going into something that we should be doing. For instance, I bet I can understand how it would be hard to leave a steady, really solid, not going anywhere job, like working for Wells Fargo. But then there's that little inkling of, well, what if I did, you know, what, and you, you saw what Eric was doing and maybe how he was fulfilled by that. But then you know, it's not like we know where it's going to go. So, you know, I can remember in schools they'd be saying, you know, what's your five-year plan? It's like, well, what's my next week plan? Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I feel like it's you two grabbed a hold of feelings that like, let's move or let's change or let's do wholesale or let's try these printers. And do you feel like um, your process has, is in a place where you're comfortable with that and your decisions have been good? Because I think that's very true. Sometimes you just have to stop and is small better. Are we, are we enjoying it? Yeah, we're, we're very much enjoying it. I mean, it was wonderful in San Francisco, but it, we had that store for eight years Mm -hmm. and it was, it was getting a little much to 
to know we had to be there every day. I mean, we had a couple of staff that were absolutely wonderful, but being able to switch it up and get a little smaller, it's still really enjoyable. And I just love that we have switched it up in the last couple of years. Um, During 2020, I, I discovered something about myself. Eric really didn't make a lot of art in the in 2020 because Mm. the stress of COVID and everything but I discovered that my stress response is to create Mm. because I would come up to the studio every day and just do collages and paint and uh, even if I wasn't making uh, fresh work I was creating painted backgrounds for future work and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. um And I realized that I just love to create. And even in very stressful times, that's what I'll turn to. And so that, that was kind of nice to learn about myself. You know, I learned something about your process just last week, watching you had a sign that was, you didn't need anymore. It was hung in your bathroom, I think. And you, you took, you painted it first. I don't always listen with sound. So I watched it. And then I was like, wait a minute, I have to turn the sound on. What's she doing? What's she talking about? And um, I love that you just said I went into my pile of flowers. So it's like, wait a minute. She has it sounds like you make it really easy for yourself to create. Yeah, I have. I have literal piles like I'll just show you. That is a box full of not just flowers, but these are all poppies. Yeah. So Annie's holding up this like blue, like old stationary one side of a box and it's all these beautiful cut out flowers yeah. that love that. And I have, I just keep, it's actually um, really fun for me to just make the raw materials for, mm, for future like collages. It. It's really fun because the fun part of doing a collage is just kind of putting them together and like experimenting until it looks right. And then right. you like, I don't plan them in advance. I'll have, boxes of stuff to go to Mm -hmm. and to just see what ends up working, what looks good together. And then when I'm happy with it, I get out the glue stick. Love that. So some days must be just, let's cut out flower shapes days. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We'll have to have you on a windowsill workshop. I think that would be super fun. I'd love that. This is um, for just a little tip for collage artists out there. If, as you know, if you paint one side of paper, it'll curl up on you because it's absorbing the moisture. Mm -hmm. So my friend Molly got me this uh, sketchbook of plastic paper, essentially. It's like, it's, it's made, it's called granite and it's made from uh, stones somehow. I don't know. Granite. Yeah. But I'll I'll find it out. hard to tear. Okay. It feels just like paper, but it, yeah. it's hard. You can't tear it. It doesn't absorb any moisture. Wow, it so looks when you great. paint it, it stays completely flat. It cuts like butter and wow. it's absolutely perfect for So collage. when Annie's holding this up, it just, it looks like a beautiful piece of paper with paint. With paint on, on it. it. Yeah. Wow. I've never heard of that. I'll have to do a little research. Post yeah. That. <laughs> thing. So what are you working on these days that that's lighting you up? That is a good question. Well, I I have been doing a lot of uh, floral collages. I've just been really playing with that. Um, And sometimes I'll do like a ribbon on top with some words. 
And like I said, I do enjoy when it's a sweet floral with some salty words on it. Yes, that makes me, me smile. Yeah. Um, but it, it's kind of collage for me right now. And I'm very much enjoying, I, I just, I'll not just like paint and draw flowers to cut out, but I will take, I, I buy a lot of vintage books for the imagery in them for collage. Mm -hmm. But that means that there's tons of pages with no images. Right. And so I will just tear those out and paint backgrounds um, and cut them out or use them as backgrounds in collages. So I kind of go back and forth between, you know, drawing and painting, digital drawing. I do a lot of that in Procreate as well. Um, right now I'm kind of in a collage phase. So my fingers are always sticky. Yeah. I love that too, though. I think... That's another good thing for people to hear is, is you get to switch it up and what are you, what are you into now? You know, I, I'm definitely like that, but it, you know, am I, am I a silversmith? Am I a hat maker? Am I a painter? You know, I think as creatives, we get interested in many different things. And for me, like, like you were saying, I'll just switch completely over to one thing, but then I'll get interested in that other thing again. Yeah, exactly. I, a few months ago, I was making little felt flowers. I was making necklaces last Christmas for all my friends. Yeah. Um, I just like to make. I think, I think that, I think that's the, the lovely thing being a creative does for us is we get, we get to explore that. And I love, I'm just thrilled for you guys that you're in a place that feels inspiring and other people can now find you. Yeah, exactly. And I've, I have, um, I've had a few gatherings up here. Uh, I used to teach collage at the, at the place in, at our shop in San Francisco. And I do miss that. Now I haven't found a way to get back to teaching. I was just going to ask uh, you about yeah. teaching. Yeah. It was, it was super fun to, to see people just get the bug for collage. And I have, uh, as you can probably imagine, boxes and boxes of collage stuff. So I would just let people go on a little magpie hunt, get a pile of stuff and then start the process of putting it together and sticking it down. But at the end of the class, I would just say to people, take home as much of this as oh, you wow. want. I am in no danger of running out of collage <laughs> materials. So take a little pile, bring it home. But now that I don't teach anymore, um, I don't have that natural attrition of my piles of stuff. <laughs> So I've invited friends over a few times and just done a little collage oh, after Um My friend Molly had the one, she calls it the crafternoon, which I love. Yes. Um, so I would love to get into teaching collage again. It was super fun, uh, but we don't have the room in our new place. And also I'm, I'm not sure if I could, I, I bet I could fill a collage class even up in the foothills. Oh, I think but it was, it was much easier in San Francisco. Well, you know, Lisa um, Congdon and I were talking yesterday about maybe some workshop retreats on Vashon. So maybe we could entice you. I'm in. I would love that. That'd be fun. I just bring a small, a small bag for clothes and a huge case filled with collage <laughs> materials. Well, since it's drivable, well, it would be, a, oh, it would yeah. be a while, but you could load the car up for, a, for the collage road trip. Oh, that it, sounds so I fun. I bet you could even put package together 
mixed bags of wonderful paper things and sell those like crazy, Annie. I know I, that is actually something I started to think about. And I started to even, I know what it was. I, somebody had mentioned, um, why don't you teach collage over Zoom? Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, well, that's a great idea. I would just put together a packet of wonderful papers. But then just the logistics of trying yes. to do that over Zoom were, it was just a little Well, if we do it with windowsill workshops, we, you won't have to think about a thing. You just have to show up. So we'll figure it out then. And then that'll tempt you to keep going. I love it. We'll just work that out. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, tell people where they can find you, please, because I'm sure they're wanting to see much more of your beautiful work. Well, we're at Three Fish Studios, and that's the number three. um, And that's on Instagram, and it links to our website. Uh, That's something we did over COVID was invest in a new website, and Mm. uh, it it looks really good. Yes, Um, We're... We try to be active on social media, especially Instagram. And, oh, we oh, you can sign up for our email newsletter. Uh, we send that out about once every six weeks or so, telling you what we're up to. Uh, we have a couple of pop-up events happening in the next month in San Francisco. Um, I do so, feel yeah, like your, the- your work is very accessible. I love that. About It seems like you, you're, you get in the mood to do a little body of work and then it's for sale and it's, yeah, and you can get it. And I love that. So often you want something and it's gone, but yours, there's still things of, that you can, cause you, you're prolific. So it's, well, I'm very prolific and I'm very that. like, Grateful. I'm always making stuff. So I like to get it out in the world. I'm never precious about wanting to hang on to anything. Um, I just love to send it out into the world. And because I make so much of it, I just, want it to be accessible to people. I want it to be affordable. Um, I was doing these little flash sales on Instagram of doodles. Yes. I'll have to start doing that again. Um, but I'm just, you know, making all the time. So the quicker I can get it out in the world, the better. I love that. I think that right there is, is a process tip, you know, just, I mean, it's precious cause it's lovely, but y- you're not precious about it at all. It's just like, this is what I feel like doing today. I'm going to put it out into the world. And that I feel like so often people are, that's what they're afraid of. Like, oh no, you know how people won't want this or what, whatever, like, how are you going to evolve and move on and have fun yourself? If you don't just throw it out there, really? I, I used to do this thing occasionally when I lived in the city, we lived a block away from a Safeway and I would do, I called it Safeway treasures. And sometimes I would just bring a few little drawings and leave them in Safeway. Like, like in the grocery, in, in, yes, in, in with the bananas behind the soup cans or really? something, or or between a couple of bottles of olive oil, just a little drawing. Oh, I love that so <laughs> much. Or when I would take books back to the library, I'd often tuck a little drawing in there for the next person to find. Oh, Annie, that's a great idea. Let's start, <laughs> let's start a movement. Oh, I love that so much. Oh, goodness. Well, tell me who's inspiring you these days. Of course, I love to know that. Well, the, the, People like, so many people inspire me, but the yes. names that first came to mind, uh, Tucker, Tucker Nichols mm-hmm. is a San Francisco artist and I absolutely love his work. It's so deceptive, deceptively simple. Mm. It's funny. Mm-hmm. It, it has a lot of words and phrases. I think the first time I encountered a piece of his work was at my friend Lee's house and she just had a little piece of art 
in the window that said something like, please do not wave at the helicopters. And I just thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. And then uh, I started to see his work around the Bay Area. I've been to a few of his exhibitions and um, he has, he does a lot of t-shirts, which I think Park Life on Clement Street sells a lot uh of them. Uh Uh, There's one little drawing he has that just says San Francisco and it's just the crudest, simplest little grid, but half the grid is at a 45 degree angle, which is exactly what San Francisco yes. is like. Yep. So it's funny. And it also, um, seeing his work encourages me to just loosen up more. Mm. I, I am pretty loose, but uh, being kind of the beauty of being a little sloppy is, mm-hmm. is often something that I, I won't embrace. Mm-hmm. And uh, he encouraged me to do that. So I love his work. Oh, I love that. Um, that sounds delicious. Another artist that I love is Lindsay Stripling. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a watercolor artist mostly, but she's done a lot of, she's done some bigger acrylic paintings. It's very beautiful uh, narrative work. Like there's things happening in her paintings and mm. beautiful layering of scenes. Like she could have a, a painting of some characters and then in the woman's skirt there'll be different characters doing yeah. something else oh, i just I love it. that so much there's so much storytelling in her work um and the next name that i absolutely love this woman's work lauren mcintosh mm-hmm. um she's on instagram uh it used to be called something else but now i think it's under lauren mcintosh She's done a lot of, I think she's, I don't know if she still is, but she was involved or co-owned that wonderful shop in Berkeley, Tale of the Yak. Yes. Yeah. Um, her stuff is absolutely stunning. Also a lot of storytelling, a lot yeah. of narrative, but beautiful colors. So, um, and she's one of those people to me that feels like she was born in the wrong century altogether. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. Amazing. And things that would never cross my mind, but I want to look at every detail of every single thing. Yeah. And she also does, I I think she does a lot of her work with acrylic, which I, which doesn't make as smooth or even a drawing as gouache or watercolor, but Mm -hmm. I kind of love the being able to see the brush strokes Mm -hmm. in the acrylic. And Mm -hmm. she did this gorgeous um huge mural at a bar in calistoga Hmm. um god i can't even think of bar now but it's right next to indian springs Mm -hmm. resort and it's Mm -hmm. behind the bar and it is the most stunning mural i've ever seen it's something social club maybe it's Oh yeah. It's, it's that is it Sam's social club, maybe? Oh my gosh. You know, you're remember. talking about where I lived, but I moved since that bar was there. And yeah. Um, was it part of that cool hotel? I'm not sure. But anyway, I will I'll find that and put the link in the show notes as well. Yes. And I follow a ton of artists online. I have a, a weakness for art books. I have so many art books. And I often will pull them out and just sit there and have like a little inspiration stroll through a couple of books. So yeah. I, I find that a huge part of my practice is being inspired by other artists. I do too. I mean, I, I am inspired every day and it's usually something, somebody was asking me yesterday, 
what, what makes something inspiring to me. And it, I just feel like it's something that feels fresh, feels like I haven't, I didn't think of it that way or it, it or it really resonates that it's unique. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. I, but I'm looking all the time. I love it. Those are the, those are the Oh, things. me too. I mean, even taking a walk and, and seeing a, there's a, a tree I saw yesterday and the tips of the, it was dark green, but the tips where the mm. new leaves were coming in was a very bright green. Mm. And I was just looking at it going, oh, that color, juicy. Yeah. Oh, I know. There's something about, I can remember uh, a certain place I lived when I lived in the, grew up in the Napa Valley. And there was just a, we were high enough a bit when we were coming down the driveway that I could kind of see over some trees and, and it would be spring. And I just think there are, I could not even imagine how many greens I'm looking at right now, just infinite yeah. amount of greens. And I just would spend a moment in my head with all the greens and just think, ah, oh, this is fantastic. I, I love, love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those things we do. Oh my goodness. Well, you totally inspire me. I just love how real you are and how you, you inspire me to put myself out there a little bit more just with how you show up. And so I really appreciate that. Oh, thanks, Margo. Yeah. Thanks for being here today. I really appreciate <laughs> it. I love knowing more about, about you and, and all the things. So much appreciated. I know. I, I want to sit down and have a cup of tea and a long chin wag with you one day. Yes, indeed. Let's do that soon. Before you go, I just want to say a quick thanks for tuning in. I hope you found something useful to take away and something to make you think. For those of you listening in on Spotify, and I know there are many, you now have the cool option to show your love for Windowsill Chats quickly and easily. From the show page in the Spotify app, you can simply tap to rate it one to five stars. And of course, I'll really appreciate it too if you leave a review wherever you might be listening. See you next week, lovelies, and I hope it's a creative one.